Howdy guys and welcome back to so How Did I Get Here with me Sam Lax. This is episode 18 now and although this one was recorded all the way in January of this year, I'm just getting it out now so I do apologise for the wait but it's worth waiting for I promise. This week I got to sit down with Julieta Boscolo. Julieta was a writer, director, actor, improviser and all round lovely human who I'm very lucky enough to do a sporadic comedy radio show with. She tells stories that reveal the original and the overlooked, and whether it be through the TV shows, commercials or films she's directed or written, she inspires audiences to make emotional discoveries about the world and themselves. She's got awards and accolades coming out of her ears. She won the Emerging Filmmaker Award at Melbourne's International Film Festival for Let's See How Fast This Baby Will Go, an Australian Directors Guild Award for Sounds Gold, and even at her feature project, The Sound of Light, selected as one of only nine international projects for the Venice International Film Festival's Biennial College. Back in January, I coached Julietta into the studio and starting with the origins of her passion for directing, at school and at home, entertaining her five siblings, we traced her remarkable life and career to date, where throwing off the shackles of stigma and shame that she felt from her impoverished childhood has enabled her to tell powerful and unique stories that resonate with audiences worldwide. Julieta had much wisdom to dispense on a wide range of topics from work ethic to collaboration and her creative process. So this is a definite listener for those interested in following a creative path of their own. I had a great time talking to Julieta, so I hope there's something in here for you too. And without further ado, I'll take you live to Bondi Beach Radio Studio where this conversation was recorded. Julieta Boscolo. <laughs> Julieta Boscolo. Or, yeah, or as the Australians say, Julieta Boscolo. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You've got three variations, so take your pick. But she is the incredible writer, director, actor, improviser, and just all around fantastic lady. And I'm very privileged <laughs> to know her through uh, Improv Comedy Society and later through our little radio show. And I've just watched her meteoric rise to fame and success over this literally past couple of years that I've known you. You've just well, flown through Well, that's kind of, the... that's what you've seen. Oh, no, totally. It's a meteor. It's a meteor to you, but for me, it's like this small, it's like a little ant pushing a little crumb up a hill. Well, so often with this kind of thing, especially in the media world, people see the tip of the iceberg, but they don't see the, you know, the 999 parts of the thousand of the iceberg which yeah. has been the hard work in the run up to it so yeah and the 999 rejection to totally. the one sort of success exactly that so should we uh should we dig into the, sure. to the beginning of that sure. iceberg so where were you born i was born in perth Ah, in Western Australia. Okay. And uh, where are the roots of your surname? Your parents Italian? Oh, my or? father. Yeah. My father was Italian. So he's actually from an hour outside of Venice, oh, um, wow. a place called sort of Marina. And it's interesting because he had this takeaway shop on the beach in Perth. Mm-hmm. And when I went back to sort of Marina, it looked identical. The area was exactly the same. So wow. he'd replicated what he knew in Italy and took it to Western Australia. Incredible, like a film set almost. Yeah, it was so strange. He just sort of said, this is what this is what I know. So I'm going to make it happen in Australia. Fantastic. And what if I was to come into your dad's store, what, what's on offer? Oh, well, what I as a, a young child liked was the strawberry ice cream. Ooh, gelato? Or was gelato different to ice cream? Oh, it was ice cream because, yeah. you know, it was all gentrified and Australianized. I see. And, um, but strawberry ice cream goes a long way in your book. 
It, at the time, yes. Yeah. Strawberry ice cream, fish and chips, that sort of thing. There was you could play a game of pool if you wanted. Oh, nice! A very eclectic store. I like it. Well, it was like, like a perfect teenage hangout. Well, it was on the beach, so it was more like a hangout rather than you know than a store. So it was like go get some food. Got you. And... Got you. That's great. I like it. And then, were there any interesting uh, scenarios that occurred as a result of your dad having this this hangout? that I remember I just have always been connected to the water and the beach strange enough being here in Bondi I'm like yeah I'll get up early and go down there because I'm near the water Um, because my family also he that was at Rockingham Mm -hmm. in WA but we lived in Subiaco Mm -hmm. which now is this really gentrified very very fancy area but at the time it was just really run down but it happened to be five minutes from the beach so we grew up on the beach learned to swim on the beach played games on the beach played cricket with jellyfish which now i'm ashamed of <laughs> but that's what we did yeah 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 exactly that the innocence of youth you yeah you can't, that's right you can't the judge cruelty it. of youth exactly you can't judge it with adult eyes really can you that's awesome so any other particular kind of influences in your childhood? I'm trying to trace the roots of early beginnings of filmmaking and stuff. What, oh. What was, your inter- what was your kind of creativity level when you were a kid? Well, I think because I'm one of six kids. Oh, so wow. I'm number two in a series of six, I like to say. In a series. Nice, nice. <laughs> Box set coming soon. Uh, exactly. So we used to play. We had this sort of overgrown yard, which to me... Um, was giant and I went back there as an adult and it was quite small but mm. you know it, everything's in oh, perspective yeah um, and we set up areas there was an overgrown tree so under that tree the the branches and it was kind of like a little room and so and we had big tractor tires and stuff so it's like that's that room and so I just kind of escaped into my imagination and also taught all my younger siblings like read to them every night and put on character voices oh wow and invented stories epic so improv and writing from the very beginning yeah well I've always I always like when I got into because I was an actor but when I got into I think I always just directed and I didn't realise, like I remember in year three directing a little scenario where I got a pizza thrown in my face. Year three? Yeah, I was writing and I I made this little pizza with food colouring on it, like on all the little pepperonis and different things that had a different food colouring and then instructed someone else to throw it in my face. Wow, very self-demigrating. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that was it was good. part Not, of the story. Yeah. It was needed for the story. There so I just was always doing it my whole life. I was making up stories. It was just what I did. Incredible. That's how I played and kept my brothers and sisters amused. Yeah, awesome. So you mentioned acting there. So you're more cognizant of being an actor. What was your what well, was your I was. kind of education? That's how I was. Mm. I thought I was an actor. But but you know, when you're a kid you don't know what's behind the scenes. Of so course. You, you kind of like Oh, you know, who do you see? You see the actors. So you're like, well, the actors are the ones who create stories. I see. And as you get older, you realise there's actually a whole heap of other people creating stories. And the actors are an important part of that and particularly bringing the emotion. Of course. And the depth of character screen. But the overall stories. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So did you follow or pursue acting in terms of education? Yeah, I I did. I did. I finished school and I went... Perth still? No. no. So my family moved over to Sydney and then in high school I got a part scholarship which then later became a full scholarship to a school, um, a private girls school in Waverley called St Catharines. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fine. I think I kind of felt out of place because I think that was part of the, actually the acting because I, I, my family didn't have much money so then I met this quite exclusive girls school where mm. people have 
you know, if they study Indonesian, they can can go on a school trip to Indonesia and learn Indonesian in Indonesia. But uh, my family was sometimes evicted from our home. So it's like this contrast that I had and I was pretending to fit in with them but knew that I didn't Living fit in with them. Living a double life, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Helping your acting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> didn't help my acting. Mm. Um, but it took me a while actually to come out and actually be myself and tell my stories. Mm, yeah, of course. And tell us about that process a bit. So were you, did you kind of, you, like you say, you, you had this kind of facade on at school and then it didn't quite match up with who you felt you were and how, how did yeah, you find the Yeah, well, confidence? it's also what the world... There's this quote that Barry Jenkins said, um, you know, the director of Moonlight, and he talks about you see how the world sees you and you accept it. Mm, mm, and, mm. and, you know, obviously um, he was including a race in that, but um, I related to that quote because I felt like you know when poverty there comes there's a stigma a strong stigma Mm, attached mm. to poverty so you don't want anyone to see that um so you don't show it and as I and but it was actually like that I felt ashamed of myself Mm. and ashamed or and I wasn't confident in my own skin because Mm -hmm. knowing that I had this shameful past to hide or not knowing thinking yeah yeah Yeah, well feeling that well like i knew emotionally that's what i Mm, felt and mm. and knew even though it was incorrect like Mm. it well not incorrect but it's it was it was a a walked way of construct yeah Yeah, social contract a construct that that something had been imposed on me Mm, mm. um and then i decided not to accept it Awesome. And when was that? Tell me about that. That was actually a couple of years ago. I Oh, wow. Really recent. Yeah. Yeah. When I was making my short, my Screen Australia. Um, how far? Let's see. I think. Let's fast see how this baby will go. will go. This baby will go. <laughs> so close, but so far away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So, well, we'll get to that in the, in the due course of time. But what was, what was part of your process for internalizing that? Because I suppose it's only when you show that part of yourself whatever it may be whether it be race or background or you know etc then you can claim it as your own and start moving forward on that kind of like more solid terrain like what what was it for you what helped uh i think there was well i i it was finding you don't often see people who are successful that Oh, I guess there's 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 sort of stories about people who went rags to riches, but you don't really hear people accurately or authentically describe how they felt. Mm. And there was things that Viola Davis said um, that I actually could really strongly connect to. Mm. Um, and she and she said things like, oh, "I was always so hungry and ashamed I couldn't get at the business of being me." Mm. Um, and she said, talked about, you know, um, this is paraphrasing her, but she talks about when you come from poverty, she said with poor people, it's not mistreatment. It's like, you're not even there. You don't exist. Mm. You're invisible. Mm. And I'd always felt invisible and hearing someone is so strange because obviously someone completely different background for me, completely different race from on the other side of the world describing my inner feelings like exactly how I felt and this is a very successful very confident um 
astounding woman who I, I really looked up to and, and regardless of knowing her background, just her talents and what she's achieved as a person mm. and looking at this really amazing woman and she's describing what I felt and, and she's experienced something that I – like obviously she uh, uh, the level of poverty that she had was different uh, – Poverty is different in different ways, and of so course, everything. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but knowing having a, a similar background and knowing, but knowing, like really connected to those feelings. And this is not a, a woman who's ashamed. This is a woman who's speaking how she feels about it. So, mm-hmm. um, hearing that, I was like, well, then I don't need to be ashamed if that woman mm. is out there openly speaking about it, mm-hmm. and. And she's all spe- speaking in a way that people can connect to. Then, why should I hide my stories? Yeah, brilliant, rightly so. So, an empowering thing to have found like uh, a role model almost. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And in doing so, of course, you shine the, your light that people will discover your work and will perhaps do the same in turn, which is a, an awesome kind of like cascade effect. Really. Yeah, well, that's what I'm I'm aiming for. Like that yeah. would be amazing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And coming back to your so your training as an actor and what was the role kind of linked to that like did it did you have mentors or role models as you were doing that like what what was I really studied ticking your acting, box so yeah. I and I studied under we were one of the last classes that went through with this amazing teacher called Hayes Gordon who mm. was part of the group theatre in the states and he was the original Fiddler on the Roof um he was really really he was very very old when he taught us and we were very 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 young but um that was kind of incredible. I felt like I decided to be act, an actor, but I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what the other roles were and I'd always written and I'd always, not knowing what it was, but I'd always directed. Mm. Um, so I feel a connecting a connection to actor, acting, but it's not something that I, I, I have an agent and things, but it's not something that I am pursuing as strongly. Pursuing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to do little things and I enjoy, I really love improv and enjoy that. Mm. Um, and I've been acting in this little Instagram webs, um, little story. Is this story. Mop Heads? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So I saw this. Speak a little bit about this. So on your, it's the Dirty Mop Heads or just yeah, the Mop Heads? Yeah, the Dirty Mop Heads. And who's it with? You and Nina. Nina, Nina comedian. Yeah. Yeah. I, God, Nina, it's early. If I got your surname wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Nina is amazing. Um, so... Nina and I met last year on a Screen Australia initiative called Talent LA. Mm-hmm. I was actually part of Mentor LA, which is Australians in Film. Um, they decided to combine the two initiatives, which was amazing because I got to meet a lot of really beautiful, incredible, awesome, collabor- like people who I'm hoping to collaborate with, but if not, but just to call these these wonderful people friends of course. is just fantastic. So, yeah. Mm. Um, Nina and I, you know, when you're in a different country and you do things that you normally wouldn't do, and yeah, you're yeah, just of like, course. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we were waiting outside this hotel where we were staying, and there was a little, um, sort of like golf cart that they'd used to go around with all the cleaning. And for some reason, while we were waiting for the Uber, I said, "Oh, this this is amazing! This little car. Let's just jump in and have a photo." And I'm like, who wants to have a photo? And everyone's looking at me like, mm. and <laughs> Nina goes, yeah, yeah. And Nina jumps in. Perfect litmus test. And we have a photo. And then, I, then we then we hop out. Then I'm we're waiting, and I see in the back of the 
cart, there's this bucket and it's labelled Dirty Mop Heads. No, and I'm like, oh, we have to get a photo with this bucket. This bucket is amazing. So Nina jumps in the bucket <laughs> and then I'm just taking a photo like with my arms sort of showcasing Nina in the bucket. Yeah. And I was like, that's our new album cover. Yeah, done. And then we're like, we're the Dirty Mop Heads. And then we just started just freeform over the trip creating um, a story where – we were the dirty mop heads and it was our rise and fall from fame. I see. Fantastic. And then That's we've done great. series two and we're currently working on season three. Wow. Watch this space. Yeah, it's, it's really lovely. And it's actually, I think acting, I was kind of felt a bit removed from it or felt like I wasn't putting enough into it. But because it's so much fun and it's so easy with Nina and it's like I'm... I'm finding something that I connected to strongly. And, and improv actually brought me back to that as well, the love of performing. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Well, we'll delve back into your timeline in a sec, but on, while we're on this note, what is your, like, a lot of people talk about, I don't know, like writer's block or creativity and collaboration. Like, what role do these these things play in your career at the moment? Like, what, like this uh workshop or mentorship and training program is amazing to meet new people and uh, what do you find that helps you write these days how do you how do you go about it um in different ways so uh i so i'm collaborating on a project so i'm 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 attached to a project in the states which i'm not the writer on mm-hmm. i'm really lucky i'm working with this incredible writer kaylin hunt mm. um from juvie productions it's actually viola davis's production company really strangely enough um because we connected at the palm springs film festival um and so i find even though I'm not writing, Kayla and I collaborate on the story and he's very, very open um, to getting notes and, and working on the story together. Mm. And then I'm also working on a television show called The Bigger Woman with Goran Stovleski, mm. um, who's a friend of mine who I met at MIF Accelerator Program. Um, but then I've got scripts that I've personally been working on, like I've got my feature catching site that was um, being shortlisted for Sundance Labs and also t- placed in the top 15% of the Academy Nichols. Yeah. And that is something I can't really collaborate. I can take people's script notes probably in the similar way to Kaylin being open to my notes, mm-hmm. but I that story's Deeply really personal. Yeah, very mm. well, it's, well it's actually not a, like it, when you read it, read it it's not doesn't on the surface look like something I've experienced because mm-hmm. it's about someone who's blind and they regain their sight. Mm. Um but the emotional journey I strongly connect to so um but I I'm very I I find that because I'm a director my writing in a way I'm not one of these people who like to go and screw myself away in a little corner mm. and and write by myself well I am for into the time it takes to make the script into get it into a shape where I know what the story is um, but then I like to come out of that little corner and go what do you think give me feedback and and then work with other people I'm a, I'm a person who works best I guess it's the director in me I much prefer collaborating with other people. And that's why actually when I, last year, the best thing for me, I I went on some amazing programs, but the best thing was being on set and being on Doctor Doctor because... Yeah, of course, yeah. That was a fantastic, you know, you get to collaborate with the writer and then you get to collaborate with the actors who know their characters so well and you Mm. get to collaborate with a really lovely, fun 
beautiful crew. Um, and yeah, so it's just, I guess, directing is the thing that brings all those elements together. I see, yeah. So what would you say the one word encapsulating directing is? Uh, I don't know if there's one. I think it's like, it's like you're, you're finding, you're, you're expressing a vision through collaboration mm. because you have a vision as a director and something you follow through. But everyone, I think the best directors, everyone who comes on board makes that vision stronger and clearer because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you get a good cinematographer. You know, I have an eye, but I'm I'm not a cinematographer. So I get my cinematographer on board and then he has ideas that express what I want to say in a better way than I could think of. Got you. Yeah. And then I've got to, you know, then your editor and your composer your and your and actors. Gaffers, yeah, your we'll actors, add yeah. stuff. And yeah. so everyone... You're still working. You still have that strong vision of what you want to achieve, but it, it gets clearer and stronger as everyone adds their own part. That's why I don't like writing a film by because it's... What's a film by? Sorry, you know how you if you see it. the movie poster and it says, a film by... Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So taking complete ownership kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. it is my vision, but it's a collaboration. You can't of make course. a film... You can make a film with one person. No way it's going to be as good as a no. film with you know, even 10, 15 people mm, mm. who are all better th- than you. Some of their parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, it's it's fun as well, making yeah. it with other people. That's the bottom line. It is, it is really fun. Like, if you do it all on your own, sure, you might see a, a great feeling of achievement, but then you can't really turn around to anyone and go, oh, how good was that? Like, yeah, oh, well, even remember it's the that? process. Oh, it was just me, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's the process. And when you're working with them, it's just like, this is so fun, like, you know, just collaborating and then they come up with a thing or they add something. Mm. Like even, um, oh, there's this scene, I can't give anything away because it's going to screen soon. I yeah. think February 5th, Doctor Doctor. Is What's it called? The Heart Guy in the UK and the US? Yes, yeah, yeah, The yeah, Heart Guy. Yeah. Um, but there was this scene where Roger and Tina, who plays his mum, just had this really, they have a really strong connection um, they've worked on the show for four seasons together and they know each other really, really well. And there was this scene where he just threw a little thing at her. Like he gave her the heads up, but he just threw this thing during the scene and, and she just caught it. And it, it's just like magic that he can just throw something and she's... They're so in tune. Yeah, mm. they're so connected that she catches it and they react. It's a response. It's not, I think, you know, when people are acting, when they're beginning, they're like... What am I giving? But it's like, no, what your reactions are the strongest thing and your connection to what the other person is giving you. It's not about what you're putting it out. It's about how open you are to receiving. Mm, and that just sounds like improv comedy to me. Yeah, I was just about to say it's the exact same as improv, hey? Is that how you, like, is that why you decided to give improv a bash? Like, when did you start doing improv? Um, when did I start doing improv? I was actually thinking about this morning. Uh, probably two years ago, okay. I think. Yeah, awesome. And uh, was that with like with like this would be fun, or is this would unlock creativity, or help me direct better, or just all of the above? Yeah, and also I like that improv. I love that spontaneous aspect to it that that you don't know what's going to happen, and mm. there's also a lot of comedy and fun in improv because mm. I like to mix. I, th- I think you can mix both drama, strong drama, but also really funny comedy within. That's my favourite tone. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. Um, and I, 
I'd been working, I hadn't been working by myself, but there was a period where I was just writing and I was working alone a lot. And as I said, I'm a collaborator, so I wanted to be collaborating with people and having fun. And through that, it helped me. I'm also quite shy, so... You know, it takes me a while to, if I'm directing, if I step onto set and I know what I'm doing and that's my job and, you know, I, I, I've i got this thing that I'm this aiming for, so then I go for it. Um, but if you see me at a party, it's a, it might, I might take a while to warm up. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but I think improv helped. It's. I think it's also part of that thing we were talking about before, that having to have that facade for so many years and then you finally drop it. And you haven't had time to work out the business of you. So you, you're like, who am I? What am I doing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a lovely time to discover it really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah but I think lots of people space. will work it out when they're 12 or 13 or they're working it out in their um, teens or early 20s. And no, some people it takes, well, some people go through their whole life and never do it, you know? Everyone, yeah, Everyone's true. in their own in own lane doing their own thing. Kind of yeah, thing. that's yeah. true. And I guess it's it's it was like finding a different sense of identity and um, you develop that as you go and I like to develop it in a creative way. Mm, awesome. So talking of sense of identity and changing from actor maybe to director. So you got a master's from Victorian College of Arts, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So what was the like, right, I'm going to pursue directing. What was the What was the kind of moment for you well i'd done it for years like i like i said i did it throughout school and mm. then we got a whole host of shorts that i've got lists of here you got safe sam's gold which you won some awards for the branch the present etc etc were they before during or after uh, during uh the, the branch was before and the rest were after mm -hmm. um but i so what happened was i went to acting school and then i finished acting school and i'm like oh wait a sec there's no work factors no really yeah, no? uh, well, there's not much work for actors, particularly new actors, mm. and particularly very shy, introverted actors as I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the confident, the confident ones kind of come Sweep to the it. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. come to the, the the fall whether or not they're the most talented. Of course, yeah. Um, and then I finished, and I was like, oh, there's not much work. And then I'd always written, and I saw a competition to make a short film and I was like oh how hard can that be yeah yeah and then I started to realize but I'd always directed and so then I started doing my own things and what's it so just speak because I'm in the in the froze in the froze I'm writing my first ever shorts never written since you know like GCSE which is I don't know 16 years old in the UK so I've got this real identity block of I'm not a writer kind of thing T talk to me about writing your this competition like how the the kernel of the idea to to letting it flourish. How did you how did you go about it? You were like, I had a little idea and then sketched it out. What how did it work? Yeah, well you I guess it's just it it's funny because people forget that you just have to have if you people forget the the simple but most important things of a story. Mm -hmm. So you you just need a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not necessarily in that order, but you can write them in that order and they have to connect somehow, even if you don't place in that order. Mm. So, you're you've you know how to tell a story because I've been in here mm. in this studio with you yeah, where yeah. we create stories and they clearly have a beginning, a middle, and we end them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you know how to tell a story. Mm. So you're a storyteller. So a storyteller doesn't necessarily have to be a writer. Okay. Like yeah. you don't have to have the title of writer mm -hmm. to create a story. Mm -hmm. So you know how to create a story. Mm. 
But how do you divulge it onto the page? That's the, well, that's the million dollar thing. Well, I would thing. say write everything down and like just have a thing where you're not limiting yourself. Sit down and just throw everything out there mm -hmm. and then go away from it and then come back and then cut half of it out and look at what can I tell – is anything – one, is anything being repeated? Two, is there – how can I show most of this visually so – where there's words, can I do without those words? Okay, I see. Am I showing it through the camera? And, you know, I came from theatre mm -hmm. and then I moved into film. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started writing, everything was dialogue, dialogue heavy. Mm. But the films I prefer is when two actors look at each other and then that's a beat, that's a story point because you know by that look. Exactly. A lot is being conveyed that, like you say, you part you might have had in dialogue beforehand, but because of the circumstance, you can, yeah, I, I get And it. it's so concise, there's this film, and actually when I worked with my um, beautiful friend, Rebecca Clark on Sam's Gold, and, and Beck comes from um, screen, from playwriting, um, she had this really successful one-woman show that won the Sydney Critics, Sydney Theatre Critics Award. Like mm. she's amazing. Amazing, yeah. And but when she wrote Sam's Gold, it was very dialogue-heavy. And I showed her. There's this old film with Dustin Hoffman, Midnight Cowboy. Oh, You've seen yeah, that yeah, film? yeah, 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 yeah. It's dark. It's dark. And there's this scene in this cafe where they're talking about something. I think they may even be talking about sexuality or something or an event that happened. And um, Dustin Hoffman's character doesn't answer the question or doesn't answer what they're speaking about. But there's just, there's like a 10 second shot. I don't even think, I don't even know if it's that long or maybe it's a little bit longer where this range of expressions cross his face. And in that he answers the whole question. So in theatre because... Because I was just trying to show her the power of the close-up. Because mm, mm, mm. in film you can put a camera and of you course. can read everything, whereas in theatre... So you, you might be up in the nosebleeds. Exactly. You are really just going for, yeah, the dialogue. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. well, because you still have to have the emotion, but of you can course. have someone sitting on stage. And, and I think you've got the beauty of a wide shot, which is underestimated in film, because in a wide shot, if you see someone's physique and you are sitting in the nosebleeds, if someone's completely crushed by grief and you look down and you see this character on stage and they're completely crushed by grief, in their physicality you can see that. Mm, mm. But you can't see that range of emotions going through their face so you have to also have them talking about what they went through so then the audience can hear in their voice, can hear the subtext. Mm, I see, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas in the film, film you can cut all that dialogue and you just show that close-up. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. That's yes. cool. So you helped her adapt the what, what was al almost a screenplay of Sam's Gold into this visual piece then for your Well, film. yeah. We had um, Beck had written a, she had a, she listened to a Radio National story, I think it was, and mm. it was this really interesting story um, about teaching literacy in prisons in that there was a lot of prisoners who were illiterate. Mm. And the way that they taught, they inspired them to start reading or learning to read mm. was they'd get them to record um, CDs of stories for their kids, oh. bedtime stories. Cool. And then they'd send them to their kids so their kids could put them on and hear dad, often dad, reading them a story. Amazing, yeah. But they didn't, if they didn't know how to read, so then they'd have to learn how to read in order to record the story. Wow. 
So she had that beautiful kernel of an idea about this boy walking to school and he's listening to something, listening to this MP3 actually and moved the technology had moved on yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's listening to an MP3 of a story um, and he's, he has to deal with bullying. He has to deal with the fact that, he, one, his mum is in no state to get him ready for school. He mm. has to get himself ready for school. His zipper breaks. He has to find a way of pinning his own little shorts up. Mm. He has to make his way to school. He gets bullied. These boys try to steal his MP3 player. The story makes him take it back and, and stand up to them. And he finally gets to school and he's all grubby and... His friend, this girl, comes up to him and her father just completely wants him to get away and disregards him because mm. he's all grubby. But mm. he's grubby because he fought the bullies off. Totally, yeah. But his the father just looks at all. him. Yeah. yeah, but his father looks at him and goes, well, this is a kid who's from poverty and just keep, her, keep him away from my child. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story inspires him to go in. And then you learn at the end of the story, you go to the prison and you see that his dad is actually the one who told him the story. So even oh. though he's far away in prison, he's, he's able to a... influence his son's mm. life. Incredible. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Beautiful story. What did that win you? <laughs> it won an uh, um, Australian Directors Guild Award. Yeah, epic. For um, Best Direction in a Short Film. Absolutely epic. Yeah, it screened on ABC. Um, what kind of a feeling was that? To have that kind of... Was that your watershed moment in terms of recognition? Was it your first... It was my widespread first appeal. Aw- proper award, I think. Um, yeah, it was. It was great. I don't know. Mm, you get mm, up there, mm. and you obviously never expect it, but mm-hmm. it's just nice when people recognise your work. And I think it's also when you win awards, it's more that it's not that. Oh yes, that's another notch on my belt. No, it's more like oh, my story's connected, people connect to the stories and it's affected them emotionally in order for them mm. to want to respond. Mm. That's mm. what I try to do with my work. So that's actually, it sounds corny, but that's the best reward. <laughs> and you, well, that's the essence of a good story, isn't it? It's one that you can feel emotionally connected to and feel that it speaks to you in whatever way. So, yeah. yeah, and you awesome. come away thinking something different, like you come away going, totally. Right, I thought this, but that's made me look at it in a new way. And people can have an intellectual argument with you. You know, they're having it every bloody day on the internet, thousands of times a day or probably millions of times a day and wasting their time. But if you connect with someone emotionally, they feel differently about something, Mm -hmm. then they're more likely to change what they think. Mm, Yeah, awesome. That's great. This meandering interview, as it always is. Sorry, this is very uh, indicative of my ADHD type personality. No, it's great. So, Masters directing, sum up your time there. Was it two years? Was it no? One? It was one year. One year. What? Yeah. What did you take away from that? Other than obviously the craft of directing, was it a network, a self, a, a sense of like self confidence, or uh, you wanted to jut out in a new direction or try something? What? What? What did you take away from that time? Um, I think. Mm, it's interesting. I think VCA, what I really loved about my time at VCA was, like I did make friends who I'm still in contact with, um, but it was more that it's different than afters in that you don't really have streams for cinematographers and editors and everything. So you, though I, I did work with the cinematographer that I um, met who shot my VCA master's film Safe, I, Jeremy Rouse shot it and then we worked together on Sam's Gold so that was a connection that carried through and then now Jeremy's just blown up and film screening at Sundance and 
multi-million dollar commercials, I think. Wow. JR, yeah, he's amazing. Um, but it was, I don't know, I think it was more, VCA gave me a freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you a freedom and they trust you as a storyteller. I think I was challenged a lot in terms of storytelling, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing, though sometimes I felt like... I had I, I felt like, okay, you don't get what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm. Um, and maybe that's sometimes that doesn't work and that's a bit stubborn and you and you shoot yourself in the foot. But I... It's tough to know though, isn't it? With a creative process, how much is you having to defend it because it's your idea and that's what will make it unique and powerful versus, like you say, you're being obstinate and you're not taking on feedback, which could make the piece of work better. It's so hard to tread that line. Yeah, so there was a bit of that. But then also I met like um, Erin White, who was also one of the directors on Doctor Doctor, this last block. And Mm. I met Erin there and the feedback she gave me was really wonderful. And VCA also, they've got an acting school next door. And so you got to workshop with actors. Oh, brilliant. That's good. Um, Yeah, and they, they gave me freedom to cut with who I wanted to cut with. I guess I just, I pushed the system and they let me push it. And I am really thankful to them for letting me do that because I think... In the industry, that's really what you have to do. You have to kind of try to mm. push things a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and particularly as being a female director, because mm. things are often set up in a way that works for men. So you kind of have to go, okay, well, this is not quite working for me, or let's look at this a different way that you haven't looked at before, mm. and let's try this. So. VCA allowed me to do that and allowed me a lot of creative freedom and I am really thankful to them for that. I think it's a great school and and they really, they've got a a strong focus. Well, they, when I was there, a strong focus on storytelling. Yeah, incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So then you came down newly equipped with these skills. Well, I say newly equipped, but with a a more defined muscle in the directing department after this. And you mentioned there being a female in the directing industry, which is most likely minority. What has been your experience? Have you encountered like impediments that you wouldn't, you reckon your male counterparts wouldn't have, or is it given you like, like you said, that novel perspective, which is, is actually giving you a creative edge. What do you think? I'd lie if I didn't say that I hadn't experienced sexual harassment Mm. or, either unconscious or sort of blatant discrimination. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd kind of be doing people a disservice. It's like, oh, no, it's all been amazing and wonderful because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I have had a lot of that and surprisingly more than I thought that I would have and even post Me Too, it still exists. And is that in a particular part of the production or pervasive throughout is it like maybe in like writing or like direction no it's the whole industry the whole industry, the yeah. whole industry yeah, is set yeah. up that way mm. um but it's like the rest of the world where there's um we've sort of worked with a certain viewpoint and it's also you know if, if men have been the majority of the storytellers then society kind of ingests those stories and they see start seeing things from a, a, a male perspective no i don't want to sound like no no of course it, it's the same as like you're saying earlier it's a social construct around which you know people have organized for however many years and it's up to the the changing tide to kind of move that and shift the needle a bit it's just an example in that i i until even even before I went, to, like un- up until I went to VCA or bef- just before VCA, mm. 
I always, when I sat down to write a script, I always felt like, I was like, okay, I've got to come up with a protagonist. Who is he? Mm, it was always like, yeah. um, it had to be a male protagonist. And then I read, there was this Lyle Longford lecture and Jan, Jan Chapman delivered it. And she was talking ab- about the role of women mm-hmm. in film and female protagonists and the piano and the piano was a, str- a f- film that really strongly resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And just the emo- emotionally, even though, you know, it's this story set a long time ago in New Zealand and with this mute girl. And, but um, there's a line in the piano. I'm afraid of my will of what it, it's something along. I'm afraid of my will of what it might do. It's so strange and strong. Mm. And I think if you come out with a strong original vision as a woman, it's less likely to be accepted than if you come out with a male perspective. But I also was like, oh, reading that, I was like, why do I always write male protagonists? Women can be protagonists too. And it was something, you know, late teens, me just finally realising that it just dropped in and... So I think there's there's these strong women in the industry that, and strong men. I've had a lot of amazing male mentors. Like mm. even, um, I working on Doctor Doctor. That was because of my mentor Jeff Bennett, who's just a beautiful man and such an incredible storyteller. And I've learned so much from him. So I don't want to make it this whole. Oh, of course not. No, no, you don't. Well, I think people come like often get mixed up like oh to lift women up you have to push men down like or whether it be with race or whatever like it doesn't need to be the case you know everyone everyone needs to be raised to the same level so yeah I agree. yeah I agree it's just about being on an equal footing totally yeah so um yeah i've had amazing mentors but i think it's just uh i don't know i've lost my train of thought but i feel that i have experienced discrimination and i have just it's experienced um also support so mm, when mm. the support comes through you, you're really thankful for it and it stands out totally yeah. and you try and I guess you not try not to think about the discrimination because you have to because it's there but you go on regardless and you think of ways that you can combat it yeah totally yeah keep forging your own path and like you say mentorship and role models play such an important role in life in general but what these these people that you mentioned before have they really helped you at least get like um, a stronger sense of who you are and where you want to take your work like you building on uh, examples from people that have gone before you kind of thing yeah and also that's why I guess in the last year having Jamie Babbitt as a mentor yeah. has just been incredible mm-hmm. um, T- tell us a bit about that. How did that come around? Uh, I applied Australians in Film, which is this amazing organisation for Australians in LA mm. who just work their guts out to give so much back to Australians in the American industry. Mm. Um, they're just, I can't speak highly enough of them. Mm. And I applied for a mentorship with them and there was four um, mentees um, who were successful and I was the one who got the directing mentorship. Awesome. Um, and strange enough, this last year we're all, it was all women um, and then there was flack on Twitter because it was all women. 
um, which It'll is strange. Flat regardless, <laughs> it's always it's, the thing. Is I it? know, it's, it's funny because if there was four men, I totally. don't think they'd be like, oh, there's four men, why don't you do this on merit? It'd be like, oh, congratulations, dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I received this mentorship with Jamie Babbitt and the, um, the thing I really loved – there was a lot of things about the mentorship that were incredible, but the thing the, the thing that's really stuck with me the most is that Jamie Jamie works really hard and um, she's really persistent, but Jamie also, she's got a very, very strong voice as a director. She's unapologetic about who she is and the story she wants to tell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's really, really successful. Mm. She's just herself. Yeah, awesome. She doesn't hide who's, you know, because Jamie's a, 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 um, a queer filmmaker and she makes really bold stories and they're really, really funny, darkly funny. And before her time, she made, you know, gay conversion stories. And um, and even even though I'm not gay, um, I come, I like looking at her work, I'm like, well, this is this woman who just told the stories that she wanted to tell and she told them the way she wants to and she doesn't step down and, and she does things the way that she thinks will work and she also comes up with different ways of doing things. Like if something's not working for her, she works out a different way or she works out a way to make things happen and she's got this really positive outlook and she's just been incredible and very, very supportive um, of me and of the details of my work and I guess coming from a different background to the people around me, I'm like, well, Jamie's doing it. Mm-hmm. She's directing both film and television mm-hmm. at the highest levels mm-hmm. and she's winning awards left, right and centre. Um, so if she's doing it and and she's wor- she works really, really hard and she has had a lot of rejection but she's also had a lot of success but she just keeps going. Mm-hmm. So you think, well, if that's what she does... I'm going to do the same thing. And it's just lovely having someone like that. Awesome. That's wicked. That really does light the fire and shows you that, hey, it can be done the way you want to do it. Yeah. And, and there's original voice. You can get your original voice out there and, and, and have it succeed if you just work hard enough and think of different ways to do things. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So on that note, how do you, how do you go about getting getting yourself out there for work and dealing with rejection and keeping like work ethic. How do you instill your own work ethic? Uh, it's, it's, this is a funny time to ask me that because I last, the, like the last few years I've just worked like nonstop. Yeah. I crazy. mean, yeah, got to know you a little bit and then boom, you're off like ping pong in between here and America and popping up in Venice and then back in this. And yeah. That. And I think you, have you had to, time to stop. I did at the end of the year for a little bit and I think that, that I realised that actually, actually is important to mm-hmm. take space for yourself mm-hmm. and to give back to yourself because you can't Replenish just... the creative well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just started The Artist Way by, um, was it Julia Cameron? Oh, and, yeah. And yeah, d- one of the things is like the artist date, but it's, yeah, if you take, 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 take from your artistic well, then it's going to get dry and it often gets dry when you're doing well because you're taking so much from it, yeah. Maybe I should have read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have read it. My friend actually who wrote Sam's Gold, she read it and she got a lot from it and I probably should have read it because I just I was like, oh, I need to give something back to myself. Um, <laughs> so, and take a break and you feel like you have to keep working nonstop but you do have to work really, really hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a balance, I think. Mm. It's like going, yeah, 
I think you you've answered the question, Sam, better than I could. <laughs> I'm talking over you rudely. No, it's, no, it's no. It's kind of like, or oh, you you'll know this more than me. Like when it when the going's good, you like you've got a doors open and then you keep going with it kind of thing. So what happened in the last couple of years that like oof, just set you off? Uh, I think it was accumulation of work that I'd done all the previous... All these shorts that I reeled off before or... Oh, it's not so much or... that. It's it's that, but also, you know, setting stuff in place. Um, just having constantly get stuff ready for mm-hmm. the time or mm-hmm. be ready to... D- when I, I'd done an attachment with Jeff before and then so when I came to Dr. Doctor, I was ready for that. But mm-hmm. also I just also built up my confidence as a director. Mm. Having a lot of irons and a lot of fires mm-hmm. and that's something Jamie also was talking about that you have to have balance, be juggling several things at once because you don't know when anything's going to go. So mm. you have to keep putting back into a lot of projects. That's heartening to know. Yeah, so... So then you know this one takes off and you're like okay then I'll put some more focus on that but then that one might drop back there might be something where financing drops out it's like okay well I'm going to go with this so don't have your eggs all in one basket no and being open to directing in all fields like you know I've directed commercials and I've directed television and Mm -hmm. I've directed films so you kind of um, keep I just keep that muscle strong Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think it's really important to just keep your muscles strong Mm. and look at what opportunities are out there and and don't disregard any opportunity. Like even just going um, to see my film screen in Palm Springs and there was a pitching event and I lined up an hour before because I was like, right, I'm here and there's an – there's only a certain number of people who can get into that room and there's going to be six people in there to pitch to. I'm going to get there an hour before because I don't want to miss out on pitching – and then now I'm working with Kalen because I met him there. Amazing. So just putting – there's like put everything into everything um, and then you can kind of relax once you've put everything in ready to like don't disregard anything give everything to everything yeah but then yeah you have to actually then <laughs> give back to yourself and particularly when you are telling stories where you are putting a lot of emotion to those stories or if yeah. they're personal stories it can be emotionally exhausting yeah and if you're giving a lot out for personal stories or you're giving a lot out to your cast and crew what's left for you and to continue to give you have to keep giving back and yeah mm. Yeah. As I said, I should have read the book. Well, there's still time, mate. You're talking about it like you can't write, read and have a book, you know. You've got time. No, anyway. I know. I was just, I, I learnt the lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only started it three days ago, mate. So really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. It begins. You have to do morning pages where you write oh, three yeah. sides of A4 every morning, like as soon as you wake up kind of thing, like a splurge of consciousness. Did like, you do that this morning and yeah, did you come yeah, in yeah. here? Oh, yeah, you're yeah. so great, Sam. Well, only j- just trying, you know, I've obviously first week, so check in with me in a few weeks, but I haven't written again since GCSE, so my finger, and that, I just I haven't used a pen that much. So I was like, oh, really? oh I like shaking oh, my hilarious. hand. Oh, it's pathetic, I know. That's a good point. How do you write? Do you write first draft on paper? Or are you straight to the laptop? Oh, no, I'm always on the laptop, mm-hmm. but then I, can't, I have a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. I have to be... Not careful, but sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I'm still working on this. So I, you do have to have a lot of projects and juggle them. But sometimes I have, I come up with a lot of ideas all the time. So it's like I can't be putting everything into, I have to put that one aside. Um, But if when I am focusing on something, I'll go, I'll put it into my laptop. And then throughout the day, there'll be little notes that I'll add. So I'll probably add little notes in my phone Um. or I'll have a book next to, I don't, this doesn't happen as much. Maybe 
I don't know why. Um, maybe because I'm putting more stuff out, but I used to be going to sleep and then it's like, oh, right, no, that's the answer. So I had a little notebook next to my bed and awesome. I'd, you know, if I finally worked out what I needed in that scene, I'd be like, yeah, I'm falling asleep. But yeah, yeah, I'll write that down. Okay, now I can sleep. Oh, brilliant. So I was going to say, is that where you get your most ideas just before you go to sleep? Or like a lot of people say in the shower, Spielberg's driving, that kind of thing? Yeah. I think it's whenever you have space, whenever you stop or I often have ideas and then, you know, I'll be reading an article or you'll see somebody on the street. I like watching people a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm never, you don't, I'm not one of those people that I do listen to music when I'm walking, but I walk a lot and I'm not one of those people who are in their own world. But maybe sometimes I am. But most of the time I'm out, like I'm looking around and I spot little things all the time and you see people responding a certain way. And that's a shame actually with the rise of this, your memory in your phone, like this thing totally. where we're in our phone, a lot of people were on their phone or in there connected into that machine. Yeah. But it's just nice observing oh, 100%, people. Yeah. So Drinking life in as it happens, yeah. Yeah, So, but you often see people in their phones so that you don't see as much. But I'm out there like looking at I – get I get ideas from everywhere or conversation I had mm-hmm. or – but I think it also – if something's going to be on, say, go beyond, say, like a music video or mm-hmm. a little – a little skit then Mm. it has to be a a big strong idea and if you keep coming back to that idea Mm -hmm. like there's a couple of projects that I'm working with one I came up with the idea probably 20 years ago when I'm still like I'd left it but it still comes back so I'm like okay gotta work on that now and now I've got a co-writer so we're working on that but then there's another idea where I'm like oh okay and that 10 years ago I had that idea Mm. and it will probably take a different form but the overall concept is the same Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I'm like right well I've got to keep coming back to that idea because it keeps re-emerging exactly that it must be something yeah yeah fascinating so that's your kind of creative process is there such thing as a regular week for you like how no that's like, a, that's a difficult thing that life is always changing totally yeah because creativity is often seen to go hand in hand with lack of structure which you know as i i did kind of like science hard sciences and then engineering for a bit which is kind of the you know the most rigorous structure and then i find myself now doing more creative things and the kind of two parts of me sometimes very rarely work in harmony and it's wonderful but then a lot of the time they're pulling and pushing against each other kind of how do you find time to do your creative work to get your writing done and but then you've got a this crazy you know schedule that you've got to keep up with flying all around meeting people etc etc how do you how do you manage that well see the the flying all around doesn't happen all the time but Mm -hmm. then it did last year so then I feel like I didn't put as much into my writing I had to so sort of leave that because I was shooting or like when you're shooting, everything goes into that show and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then I'd be going to different programs and focusing on whatever I was working on there. So that's why it's, it's actually nice. Sometimes you cheat because like, you know, I've got this collaborator. So he writes, yeah, <laughs> I come yeah. back and I read the work and then I put stuff into there and I'm like, okay. And then he goes away and he does the hard yards. Yeah. Um, but now I, I'm not flying around anywhere at the moment. So, um, I am still working. We've got stuff happening with that film in the States at the moment. We've got a 
um, someone interested in possibly financing it. So awesome. I've got to put stuff into that, but then I can also put stuff into my own project. Mm. It's just a balance and I don't think mm. you ever find... Complete the, balance. No, yeah. well, it's always different. So I feel yeah. like... It reminds me of a quote of like, as long as you're consciously out of balance... Night. Yeah, right. Well, that's why I think you're – I don't think it's a bad thing that you've had the both the structure yeah, yeah. because um, you seem to have I've, – I've, you say, oh, you've known me, Forge Your Path, but I've known yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Forge Your Path, and, mm. and be really focused and motivated. And I think sometimes people go, oh, yeah, and I'm doing this and I'm doing this, but then they never finish anything or they never actually focus on one thing or work out a – a way to get where they want to go. Mm, mm. Um, but I think your analytical side has gone, okay, this is what I want. How do I get there? And mm. you've, you've been working out the steps. So mm. I think you do need a bit of both um, and you need the discipline to go, okay, I'm going to sit down. I do have that free morning, so I am going to sit down. I'm not going to come up with a new idea. I've got this old idea that I have been working on for a while and I need to come back to what does that need before I can take that out to the market? What do I need to give to that mm. um, before I can do this? So you have to sit down and 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 spend that time mm. and work out the balance. And this year I'm like, oh, because I was jetting around so much last year, do I swing it back the other way? Because I know last year came out of accumulation of the year before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. putting all this stuff into mm. what paid off last year. Mm, and mm. then I didn't have, I because I was moving around so much last year, I didn't have as much time to plan ahead for this year. But yeah. then I feel like having directed an episode, my first episode of an hour of dra TV drama, hopefully that alone will pay off all the, the work that I did. At, like, you know, Venice was such an incredible... Um, intense experience that now I have a first draft of a, of a screenplay so incredible yeah yeah in a really short amount of time so yeah, yeah. I guess I'm like oh I haven't done that much and then I look at it like oh, actually I have done some I have done a certain amount totally I think there's something to be said for taking time out just to give yourself a little pat on the back as well a quiet pat on the back for how much you've achieved as well it's been oh awesome. thanks that's the hardest that's the thing I'm not the best at doing totally totally yeah it all comes from this kind of oh we have to be super modest and all of that like sure obviously modesty's got its place but it's all about being up. Bloody good work, Julie. Oh, Bloody thanks, Sam. Though I'm kind of always going, okay, what's next? And looking ahead. Totally, and totally. Sometimes, yeah. It, yeah, it's good to stop in the present and go, well, there's also when you get disheartened and you go, oh, well, I wanted to get that and I didn't get that. And then you go, well, you were selected by Venice and you were one of nine projects selected to go <laughs> yeah. over there. So then maybe you do have merit in your ideas, you yeah, know? Yeah, so totally, totally. I think it, for me, it doesn't come out of a modesty. It comes more out of a just wanting to get things made. Yeah. So yeah. when they're made, then I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. But I do not love the sound of this bloody drill, but is quite literally started outside the studio. Yeah. I do apologize listeners uh, as if, uh, you couldn't write it. You couldn't write it. No, but uh, <laughs> I guess it sounds like we're in New York or something. There you, you go, know, yeah. Listen to Esther Perel. Do you know Esther Perel? That no, I don't know. Esther they, Perel. They're right next to her, some sort of building site or something. Well, she's she has her she has this amazing podcast yeah. where she does like therapy sessions with couples. Oh, brilliant! But then in the middle, of her um her not her office is in New York. So yeah. then throughout this in depth therapy session where these people <laughs> were opening their souls and then it's like <laughs> and she's like, sorry, I'm in New York. Yeah, that's great. A little bit of comic relief perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know, just added to the drama. Yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. No, we're just so 
Yeah, this is such a focused conversation and, uh, and we're so intensely working hard and we're so focused on what we're talking about that it's just drilling away. Oh, there it's quiet, see? Oh, no, we're calm. No. Uh, we're getting through. We're getting through the interview. <laughs> love it, love it. A bit of sound design to be, to be continued. Yeah. Watch, we'll listen to this space, listen to this space. Oh, that's incredible. So, Julieta, like, wrapping things yeah. up for the moment. Yeah. You've got an incredibly interesting year ahead of you. What do you what do you want to achieve this year? What, what are you looking for? Uh, I'd love to, at least by the end of the year, have a feature going into production. Yeah. I'd also love to, because I had such a great time on Doctor Doctor, I'd love to direct another hour of television this year. I just really loved that process and... It was so much fun and, and I, I love television too, so I'd like Incredible. to be doing both of those things. Are there and huge differences between the two for those that don't know? Yeah, well, television, you come in and you have to be respectful of – so film, you have a vision and you know what style you're working towards. But television, it's a series and it's been running before and the cast have been there and the style is set visually. Mm-hmm. You can't come in and completely change it. Mm. Um, You're playing much more as part of a team that's existed before Yeah, you have to be respectful of that and work within their style, Mm. um, which is quite nice in a way. And also I found particularly because the actors all knew each other so well and knew their characters. Totally. You can be guided by them. Yeah, I see. And trust in what they know. Yeah. Um, So it's whereas film, it's like, right, this is my vision. Everyone's coming fresh, yeah. Yeah, this is one hour. This is two hours or one and a half hours of, of... what I see in this is enclosed story. Mm. It's not continuing. You have to realise, you know, there's com- well, in commercial television, there's commercial breaks that you work up to the commercial breaks mm-hmm. and you leave the show in a certain point, but it has to be open because there's another episode. You don't mm. want to close, you know. Of course, yeah. Um, so it's, and it, there's lots of running, different running storylines, whereas film, you can't have too many storylines at the time because you've got to resolve everything within, or at least come to a, a good point of satisfaction at the end of the film so yeah yeah, it's it's quite different yeah fascinating but all fun yeah totally totally um and i'd also like to develop some of the projects that i have felt like i've neglected my writing projects that i want to get up and get happening this year fantastic that's great then the final little bit of uh, a little bit of advice for future would-be directors and writers etc what um what are the, the main things that you've taken away from your time on professional sets that you'd say to an upcoming director? Uh, I would say you can go in with your vision and that's a good thing to have mm-hmm. and to focus on, but don't be rigid within that vision. Be open to seeing, if it's a film, be open to seeing what works within that to make it if you're not you don't have exactly what you need how can you use what you have um and the same in television if you if a storyline has to be cut or you don't have enough time to get the scenes how do you tell the story within what you have so it's it's I guess it's that it's a a kind of this sounds corny too maybe I'm quite a corny person but it's like that half full thing in like what do I have Mm. rather than, oh, I don't have what I need, I can't do it. You go in and go, what do I have? What elements can I use to make this work? Mm. Um, And being appreciative of what they are. Like this actor could say this line or this actor could give me a look or I could just have a shot of this and that melds those two scenes together. So just you – I think you have to be – what I love most about directing, Mm -hmm. like being on set, is you have to be the most present you are 
ever in your life. You can't be distracted or thinking of other things or you'll miss stuff. So when awesome. the camera's rolling, you're looking at the costume. You're one, watching the performers performances and watching that the shot works and then the costumes, you're thinking about what the next scene is, how that fits. Like it's the most present or the sound, you're listening to the sound. That we're looking at the design, everything is coming together to this, create this whole picture. So you're looking at every element and all your senses are awakened and participating in that. You're, you're connected to what's happening through the lens and, and that's what I love about it. And I guess as a, a new director, they often come in and they're just focused on what they want and are not open to how they can use what they have to get that or get a better version or, or a different version of that. Mm. Incredible. That's awesome. That's very, very poignant advice for people coming oh, into it. Yeah. And what about, same question, but for writing? For writing, I think it's similar in a way that how can you tell everything as succinctly as possible with less? Maybe you think it's a car chase, mm-hmm. but maybe it's two people, just somebody running after someone else. Um and I think with writing, though, the one thing I would say is people often come in and they're scared of telling what they want to tell. They're scared of who they are and they're like, well, this story, that story was successful, so I'll just tell a different story. I'll tell a vision, different version of that. But the reason that story was successful because those people knew that story as well, like they knew it inside out. That was their story to tell. So they knew it inside out. They they were the people that were the best to tell that story. And mm. now it's been told. So what the best story you can tell is a story that you know inside out. But it's probably a story that scares you to tell. Mm. It's a story that you haven't seen before. People feel comfortable in writing something that they've seen before. But who wants to see that? Mm. We've seen that. And the people who told it originally told it the best way possible and they probably took risk in telling it and that's why it was successful. Mm. So tell the story that you know. It doesn't have to be told. You know, like I said, my feature is not the character on the surface is nothing like me, but I understand her emotionally. It's been emotionally mapped, yeah. Yeah, Mm. and and Kaylin's story is a psychological thriller and there's supernatural elements and things. So obviously those things aren't real, but they're real emotionally to him. Mm. So you can put it in every every single form, any single form. It doesn't have to be a heavy drama, Mm -hmm. but... What do you know that no one else knows? Mm. What story can you tell that no one else knows the story? And what and how can it connect to people? How can you make yourself vulnerable and let that story out, the story that you're most terrified of telling, how can you put that in a form that that's going to connect back to people? Fascinating. That's awesome. Oh, thank you so much no for your time and your wisdom. It's really, really appreciated. Oh, I'm sure Sam. everyone listening will as well. Is there anywhere that you, we can keep up with your bits and bobs? So we've got your Instagram, Twitter and uh, website. What's best? Or, or uh, any of the above. Um, I try to keep up on Twitter. I'm not as good as on Twitter. I often post on Instagram or if something's big, I'll put it on my website, which okay. is just my name, which is difficult to spell. But if you even misspell it, I'm sure you'll find it. And it's www.juliettaboscolo.com. Um, or, yeah, you can search for me on Instagram. It's Hooli B-H-O-O-L-I-B. Um 
Well, yeah. Yeah. Look around. I'm sure you'll Just find look me. Around. Just look, look around. Just look around, guys. Ask around. Look around. Just you'll Google. Find Just Google. Yeah, pull your finger out, you lazy bastards. <laughs> Christ's sake. Oh, we've got a show to run here. I'll contact Sam. Bug Sam. <laughs> and Sam will be like, I've got too much happening. I don't know. That was last week. I'm moving on. Oh, fantastic. Now, all the links will be in the show notes as usual. But yeah, for the moment, thank you so much for your time, Julia. Oh, thanks, Sam, for thank having you. me here. And we'll see you in the next one, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.